and welcome to the Coaches View podcast, a football podcast hosted by professional coaches for those who love in-depth analysis of the beautiful game. Football's back! I'm Harry Brooks and I'm joined by co-host Richard Webster. Hello, Richard. Hi, mate. How you doing? You okay? Uh, yeah, very well. Thanks, mate. Very well. Looking forward to this. I know we had a little bit of a gap between our last podcast, but I'm very eager uh, for this one. It's going to be a great one. Yeah, well, first things first, apologies that there was no podcast last week. Um, but the reason was that myself and Richard, well, we had a pretty busy week, didn't we, Rich? Yeah, we certainly did. So we were, we were busy with a fundraiser, uh, an online fundraiser for um, the NHS and some other COVID-19 relief charities. So there was a lot of people involved. Uh, it was an e-gaming event followed by um, eight hours of uh, live streaming uh, DJs from all around the world. Uh, fantastic event. The whole thing was 11 hours, uh, including some amazing people, amazing ambassadors that we had involved, uh, all to raise money for... Um, for the NHS and, and, and other charities uh, as well, from charities in England, charities in Miami, and, and even charities in Brazil, all all fighting against um, coronavirus. So yeah, busy week, um, but a, an amazing event. We had some great people involved. Um, from the football side, we had Joe Cole, uh, we had Julian Nescott, we had Sean Wright Phillips, uh, all, all gave their time up to do some e-gaming against some of our young footballers that we work with, some real young talents from the Round World Royals. Uh, they were joined by Tubes uh, of uh, of Soccer AM fame and other things. Uh, so he did some uh, live presenting of their e-gaming contests, which was unbelievable, really brilliant. They were also joined, joined by a guy called uh, Fernando Fiore, who's a, who's a famous um, presenter and commentator from Brazil, uh, from Argentina. Sorry. Uh, so he was great. He, he offered his time up. All of these guys did this, you know, just, just to help with the charity event. Um, then that e-gaming event was, was followed by... Uh, an amazing set of DJs uh, from across the world. We had uh, Judge Jules. Uh, we had Official, who's got an amazing show, uh, kind of a light show included with a DJ. He was set. incredible, uh, wasn't he? Oh, Official was a highlight for me. He was brilliant. But they were all great. We had the Lalas. The Lalas did an amazing uh, special one-off short set of about 10 minutes, which was terrific. Uh, DJ Irie, who's a huge DJ in Miami, Mr. Power. Um, another one, uh, Kissy Sellout. There was, yeah, some amazing, amazing artists involved. We even had shout outs uh, from from people from not just uh, music and sport, but from the arts world as well. So Romero Brito in Miami, uh, big thanks to him. Um, yeah, an amazing event. And actually people can still, can still donate and they can still take part in our live auction if they go to uh, stayliveconnect.com. There's an amazing auction there with uh, some sports memorabilia and other things. So signed shirts from some of the guys and all of the proceeds of that go towards the NHS. So, yeah. I think over the course of the week, I think I maybe got maybe an average of two hours sleep a day maximum. So uh, <laughs> I'm trying to catch up on, I've been trying to catch up on my sleep this week. It was, I don't yeah, think I've a, ever a, been a great so week busy. nonetheless, right? I, yeah, it was a brilliant week, but I don't think I've ever been so busy and fit so much into a condensed amount of time. I think I'm yeah. over over the four or five days. I must have sent over a thousand text messages and over a thousand phone calls. I've actually spoken to you more without seeing you in that week than I have done in the three years of actually knowing you. <laughs> yeah, but like all for a great cause, right? Brilliant so, cause, so. brilliant cause, brilliant event. And as Richard says, um, there are, you can still uh, get involved, still donate some fantastic items that are on the auction. Um, you know, I know we have a lot of Spurs fans that tune in. Um, there's a Glenn Hoddle signed Spurs shirt. 
But even just for football fans, there's a Gareth Southgate signed England shirt, Joe yeah, Cole Joe signed Cole. Chelsea in England shirt. Yeah, some fantastic yeah. items. And even if you're not a massive uh, football fan, I mean, I don't know what you're doing listening to this, but you know, even if you're not, <laughs> you know, there's a Chad Johnson, former NFL um, superstar. There's, he's got two signed shirts. Well, I've actually bid for one of those, so I'm I'm, I'm hoping to get one of those myself because uh, I'm, I'm an NFL fan as well as the football. And I'm a big fan of uh, Ocho Cinco, so I'll, yeah, yeah. I'll bid for his one. But um, yeah, if anyone wants to outbid me, it's on staylifeconnect.com. I might I might do an Arsenal and Luis Suarez and just bid an extra pound just to uh, just to spite you. <laughs> yeah, good call, good call. But this is this is a football podcast, and back to football. Um, literally, football returns. The Bundesliga returns this weekend and speaking for myself I mean on a selfish point of view I'm incredibly excited are you Richard just to have some live football back again I think it's going to be brilliant mate I think it's something we need I think it's something we've been looking forward to and um, yeah Bundesliga baby that's me (laughs) yeah definitely (laughs) let's let's do it definitely but you know it is such a such a huge talking point I'd arguably say that this is the biggest week with regards to football as a whole maybe in my lifetime because obviously it's such unprecedented times and you know we're going to be talking about in the show is it the right thing that you know the Bundesliga returns how is it going to work you know um, not just for the Bundesliga clubs but you know other clubs throughout Europe are going to be watching to see how they make it work and um, we're going to be discussing that will German clubs make inroads into other foreign markets because of this and the interest that they're going to have now um, what games are we looking forward to this weekend? And then talking more about the football itself, we're going to be discussing can Bayern Munich be the team to topple Liverpool as the best team in the world? There's a lot to fit in. Um, but I guess the best place to start, Richard, is talking about the return of the Bundesliga, or the return of football more generally. I think it's a really interesting one. And uh, you said it already, that, that the rest of Europe certainly, and, and indeed the rest of the world is going to be watching. So I think it's important to give it a little bit of a context. So obviously... Um, there's, they're not the only league that's coming back. I think the K League uh, in Korea, they've already they've already played a first round of fixtures, um, but the Bundesliga is, uh, you know, for listeners of this podcast, um, you know, that mainly a, a UK focus. They're obviously one of the huge uh, European leagues, so it'll be really interesting to see from a point of view of the of the Premier League of what they do next. Are they going to be influenced by this? Um, you've got Serie A; they, they're going to take their own route, and La Liga. So if we just look at La Liga for a start, they're, um, they're very keen to get back and they've penciled in a date of, of the 12th of June or possibly the following weekend uh, as a date for return. So um, they're quite bullish about that. They're quite confident um, that there's going to be a return. Obviously, they're, they're in a different situation. Each country is. Uh, the Premier League, we know, meeting this, uh, this Friday, so this week, for uh, a big meeting about their potential uh, return to action. Obviously, we know the government has said, though, there'll be no return to elite sports before the 1st of June. But it is a crucial week because there's going to be that meeting on Friday to see about the next steps to returning. Um, but there's also going to be uh, a, lo- a lot of eyes on Germany to see if, if this sort of stuff actually works. And one thing, if we just look from a, a UK point of view, obviously, we've had a, a different um, different level of outbreak uh, in the UK to Germany, certainly in terms of numbers. Uh, and there's there's actually quite a bit of resistance to to the Premier League coming back. Um, there's there's been some vocal some vocal um, uh, people as part of this. So Danny Rose is is one uh, certainly one vocal area of resistance. He doesn't want as to always. See we love him. Yeah, we love him for it. But yeah, yeah. But I mean, like he makes a valid point. Um, 
You know, it, it, it should be the, the safety of the players should be taken into account. So I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of things to think about. There's a lot of things to consider, uh, not least in Germany itself. So in the second league already, Dynamo Dresden have had uh, a small outbreak of players who've been, uh, you know, they've, they've contracted uh, COVID-19. So they're basically in isolation. So if they do come back, that means they're going to miss the first two rounds of fixtures. So there's all sorts of questions and queries and, and whatever. But what we do know is there will be a round of fixtures this weekend, Saturday and Sunday, the 16th and 17th of May, and that the world's, uh, the eyes of the football world will be on them. Indeed, but going to what you just said there about Dynamo Dresden, it does make Danny Rose's point valid, doesn't it? Well, it's valid anyway, but... Yeah, for sure, for sure. There's never going to be a... A solution that works for everyone but it just doesn't make sense to me that you can restart a league and all of a sudden one of the teams straight away before the league even restarts again has had to drop out for a further two weeks not only does it affect them it affects the teams they're going to play and yeah. now when they return the teams that they're going to be coming up against for their return are they going to feel comfortable playing against Dynamo Dresden I does think that change a lot things of a lot of apprehension people are people are making the argument that it's not just the safety of the footballers it's the family of the footballers. It's the it's yeah. the medical staff involved, the support staff. It's not just it's not just twenty two guys running around playing football. There's a lot of a lot of people involved, even though it's going to be behind closed doors with as few staff as possible for TV and, and those sorts of things. It's still a it's still a big operation to put on um, a top level football game. So that's a lot of people involved. Um, one interesting point is is in Spain they've got a slightly different. Um, Slightly different way of looking at it. So Dresden have, have basically, Dynamo Dresden have basically said their whole team has to go into some form of isolation or quarantine uh, while they clear it up. But it, it, the uh, the way the La Liga works is if a player was to contract uh, COVID-19 or to test positive for it, then they're happy to just isolate the player and the teams would be able to continue because we know you know, uh, Barcelona are back in training. All of the top teams are back in training. Um, so there is every chance that a player will contract um, coronavirus, COVID-19. And the way that they're going to do is not isolate teams. They're just going to isolate individuals. But then it kind of makes a mockery of all the protocols we've been told about, doesn't it? Because yeah. if you yourself have it, then who's to say that you haven't given it to someone else? But I think that's the I think that's the whole point is that is that we're all facing pretty much an unknown situation and each country yeah. has their own protocol. So Spain are going to deal with it in a different way from uh, what we've heard out of Germany. Obviously, Germany have, have had far less uh, far less cases than, than us in the UK yeah. and Spain as well. We're going to be led differently, I guess, by the experts in this country. So it is, I mean, it, it, it'll be interesting to see it unfold. There's going to be massive arguments on either side, but one thing we do know is that there will be a round of fixtures this weekend in the Bundesliga. So <laughs> yeah, who, knows, who knows after that? I mean, not that there was any doubts anyway, but I do think that this week proves that every decision made so far to get football back and looking at getting football back is, is purely financially driven. I mean, there's even latest reports about how the league are looking to implement a rule where they're encouraging players to turn away when they tackle. I mean, yeah. they're trying to do everything they possibly can to get football back, which I kind of, I half understand. We're all we're talking about, you know, just getting football started again, no matter what. But I think there's been it hasn't really been catered for about are players ready to return yet? Um, because obviously, if you look at the Bundesliga fixtures this weekend, are the players fit enough to play intense football again? You know, it's how long have they been training at the level for to to make it okay for them to be able to play these high intense games? And I think yeah. that's something that's yeah. been ignored. The actual player safety with regards to 
injury, not just COVID, but you know, injury and fatigue and are their are their bodies ready to play this kind of football yet? Um, you know, we could see a lot of injuries happen this weekend and I do think that player welfare and player care has I'm not saying it's been ignored, but it's certainly been pushed to the back of the list of priorities. You know, is there there's a question mark that play, if players are even ready to return to football yet? Well, I think as ever, like you said earlier, maybe maybe we're just guessing, but maybe money talks and a lot of these well a lot of the decisions will have been made with the fact that TV contracts have been signed. Uh, at, at, you know, they've been signed and accounted for for the season. So, you know, a lot of the clubs will see that they've got an obligation to finish the season so that they don't uh, they don't breach that contract or they don't then have to go into a round of negotiations with the with the providers like Sky Sports or BT or whatever it is, be in sports across different across different. Um, uh, countries so there's all sorts of factors like, like you rightly said I think German clubs have been coming I've been training now for at least two weeks um, that's but they that didn't start off with the you know it wasn't started off in group training it was yeah. as English clubs do now it's individual Yeah, me and you being coaches ourselves we all know and I suppose most people do that you know you can't get match fit without playing matches and you certainly can't get match fit just by doing one to one training um so I think you're going to see a lot of um, injuries this weekend and a, a much slower game, a much, much slower game than the game that it was before this happened. Uh, yeah, maybe. Um, I actually, I, I'm of the opposite opinion, um, I'll be honest. Okay. I, I think, um, yeah, you might you might see injuries in terms of the physical preparation not being there, but with the speed of the game, I think the players are going to come flying out of the traps. I mean, <laughs> if, if I look, I've got the fixtures here in front of me and one game that won't be slower, I can absolutely guarantee it, is... Uh, Dortmund against Schalke um, so there's not a chance those guys could be locked away for a year and they're going to come flying out of the blocks in that game I fully appreciate it's going to be an electrifying but I can imagine it being an electrifying 10 minutes before all of a sudden the lack of um, <laughs> the lack of fitness uh, comes into play but it's going to be fascinating we're both obviously the football world is, is delighted to watch live football again whether it's the right thing or not I think, as you said, there's there's arguments for and against both sides, and it's very very difficult to talk about because you know we're not we're not experts in the in the in this current situation. Who is, mate? Who is? Who is? Yeah, who is? You know. Um, I think what might be interesting actually is to see. Uh, it would be quite interesting, quite amusing, is to see which players have have kept in the best shape. So obviously, some people <laughs> have been really going turbo in this time, and they've set themselves yeah. fitness goals, twenty eight day challenges, lockdown challenges. Did you see Benessa's? Um, training regime the other day no I haven't no oh it was incredible yeah. I mean you could have mistaken him for doing an Ironman course that's how intense the training was it was ridiculous so for those that are listening to this um, YouTube um, Benassa's training regime during this uh, this lockdown and um, I think you'll be very uh, very impressed well I mean what what made me think of this was the um, you know we're both Spurs fans was it, I think there was a, an incident a famous incident a few years back with uh, Mido uh, a striker who has gone in for a new contract and he came he famously came back um a few pounds overweight let's say <laughs> from a uh from a break a season break um so it'll be interesting to see i'm sure they've all kept on top of it i'm sure they're all in peak condition or as, or as best as they can be but it will be interesting to see the odd player who maybe didn't stick to his uh his training regime as strictly as he should have yeah no it's gonna be it's gonna be fascinating but um one thing that I want to go back to it was, um, and it's talking about the financial, the potential financial gain. So yeah. obviously, we've all, you know, we all appreciate how every club, every league, um, every business, not just football, is going to have huge financial losses. You know, that's just the way it is. But 
are we now in a situation where potentially the Bundesliga could really thrive? Um, you know, because obviously they are the the first major European league to get back to playing football again. Yeah. Um, the, t- the, t- the the contracts for the TV deals has already been signed, so you know they're not going to get any extra money. But could they now have obviously? Well, they will do a much wider audience, um, and could they now obviously look to exploit that with you know going into different markets worldwide and really push their brand, push their yeah. name out there? We've spoken before about how the Bundesliga needs to become more competitive um, for to get global interest, and perhaps that we've got they've kind of fallen into a situation where they're going to have global interest anyway. Can they? Can they exploit this situation and delve into those markets, foreign I think, markets? I think I think that's exactly one of the things they'll be doing. I think the marketing teams of the big clubs, uh, so Bayern Munich and Dortmund especially, and then Schalke, uh, Leipzig, Leverkusen, um, those clubs that have more of a global reach, they'll be going into overdrive because their their product is in the Bundesliga is already streamed across the world anyway. It's already shown live in, in all the different countries. They've got a big um, they've got a big market in the states where it's very popular. It's a really entertaining league. That's why it's it's such a force. Um, so I think, yeah, you can, you can bet that um, certainly the big two, Bayern Munich and Dortmund, will be trying to use this to, to try and make further inroads. I mean, you know, everyone or a lot of people, let's say, have a, have a second club. So, you know, you might you might support uh, Tottenham, Man United, Man City, Liverpool, whoever it might be. Some people even support Arsenal, believe it or not. But um, you know, you might have a you might have a second club abroad. Like uh, growing up, um, I was used to like Juventus because of Del Piero, so that was my club in Italy. Um, I was a Barcelona. You're older than that. What's that? You're older than that. <laughs> yeah, um, I was a big Juve fan. That was my second club there. And then I would have um, uh, Benfica was my second club in Portugal, for example. And I would have just come off seeing seeing something in Europe or seeing them play a yeah, yeah. particular game so it'd be interesting it is an opportunity for Dortmund and Bayern and, and those bigger teams who've maybe got more of a reach to try and uh, work on their fan base in different countries because I'm sure a lot of people are going to be tuning in and um, and checking out these teams some, sometimes for the first time well Schalke have already tried to do that they put up a, um, a Twitter thread yesterday um, of why each Premier League supporter should be rooting for Schalke in the return and some of the reasons were pretty good. Some of them were not so good. I remember seeing one tweet where Schalke said, um, I think uh, West Ham should support Schalke because they play in Claret and Blue or something as bizarre as that. So, uh, wow. yeah, 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 yeah. So I think the Schalke to... don't play in Claret. Schalke just play in Blue and White. So I Yeah, so I was going to say, I'm not too sure where that came from. I'm sure I'm completely yeah. wrong there, but it definitely had something to do with the kit colour um, with okay. a few clubs. Maybe it might have been Brighton with the Blue and White. But... Um, I think they'll get their experts um, to do a bit of a better job with marketing than than that. But um, do you think that obviously, it, do you think the Bundesliga can be catapulted with regards to this? Do you think that it, not even just the big two, but do you think teams like Schalke and obviously other teams in the Bundesliga, do you think they can really exploit the foreign markets? And do you think it can put them in a situation where they can be catapulted, or is it going to? Will it not make that much of a difference? I suppose no one knows, but I mean, would you predict? Uh, if I'm predicting, I think it's not going to make much of a difference. If you're already talking about, if you look at the other leagues, Italy, they, they're not quite sure. They look like they're sitting back and waiting a little bit. Um, they've got to iron a few things out. But then if we look at the other the other competition, okay, France have, France have said they're, they're, they're shut, they closed it down, they'll start again next season. Okay, so that gives uh, the German league two months over France, okay? Um, but I, I don't, you know, they're probably not in the same, on the same playing field anyway. So, yeah. so really, 
Bundesliga is competing against uh, the Premier League and La Liga and then to a slightly lesser extent um, Serie A. Well, it looks like the Premier League are eager to get back. Obviously, there's a huge meeting this week. We've already spoken about that. And La Liga, they're very keen to get back. And they're, they're even more confident than England about, about coming back. So you could see a scenario but, uh, where by the end of the season, those three leagues have, com- have completed. In which case, yeah. they get no advantage apart from a, short, a short-term advantage of, of reaching out to different markets and maybe, maybe hoovering up a few fans in different countries. Um, and, and that would be their advantage, but I don't see it having a lasting effect on the pecking order of um, of the leagues because everyone's in the same situation. And and we've spoken about it on previous podcasts. I think it's going to have an effect on the transfer window, where um, uh, clubs will be a little bit more cautious and a little bit more conservative, and that goes both ways. So Bayern Munich is still going to be a huge club. Dortmund is still going to be chasing them. Um, and it'll be the same, the same order of uh, the same order of things, roughly speaking. I don't think this is going to have a huge effect on Man United and Man City. Put it that way. Maybe Shaq will have a few more Brighton fans thanks to their Twitter thread. <laughs> yeah. No, it is. It, yeah. No, it, it's a situation that is obviously unprecedented. No one really knows. Um, it's difficult to have an opinion either way. Um, but all I can say is, as a football fan, I can't wait for this weekend. Bundesliga's back, baby. We're going to be right back after this break. Welcome back to the Coaches View podcast, a Bundesliga-themed podcast this week. Bundesliga's back, baby, and we can't wait. Um, So, obviously, we're all looking forward to the return of live football again. Um, Just football full stop, but there are obviously some big fixtures this weekend, isn't there, Richard? And we've already alluded to one of them, Borussia Dortmund versus Schalke. Yeah, massive game. Really, really looking forward to that. They don't really come much bigger in Germany. Huge derby uh, between those clubs. Massive history between them. Uh, obviously, Dortmund near the top of the league. Uh, just four points off Bayern Munich. Really on a, on a title title charge there. And um, Schalke will be um, looking to get in their way and stop them. Yeah, no, it is difficult to predict, especially where you know there's no fans in the stadium. So atmosphere isn't even going to be accounted for now. And obviously, form goes out the window. I know that obviously... For derbies, there's the old saying that form goes out the window anyway, but it is incredibly difficult to predict. Um, I don't really know. I mean, I guess you could say that the favourites are, of course, Borussia Dortmund. Um, yeah, they're at home. They're at home. They've been on a good run since January. You know, they've closed the gap again to the top of the table, but they are perennial. Um, I don't want to say chokers because that's too harsh, but, you know, they do let you down quite often and Bayern Munich have reclaimed the title you know, year after year and this is the year where obviously Dortmund will be looking to to get back at them. They're only four points behind. I mean, do you think Schalke can stop them or do you think they will stop them or do you think Dortmund will will um, you know, continue to keep the heat on Bayern Munich? It's like you said, it's a tough one to call uh, for those reasons, you know, no fans, etc. And, uh, you know, normally you'd have a lead up to the derby. The derby would be penciled into your calendar, you know, and say, OK, that's the one that that's the one that means um, a lot to the community, a lot to the fans and, and, and the club as well. A lot of, the, you know, a lot of staff around the club would be really pumped for that one. But they've had no they've had no lead up. So it's just OK, out you go and you play one of the biggest games of the season. That is for Dortmund and certainly for Schalke. That's the biggest game of the season is Dortmund. Um, and for, for Dortmund, you would say, OK, that may be on a par. Um, if not, you know, it's, it's on a par. It's up there with their game against uh, Bayern Munich for their biggest game in the season. So it's a massive one to come back with. You've got to give Dortmund uh, the tag as favourites. They're second in the league. They're the ones with the, um, 
you know, the, the superior lineup. They're the ones on form, if that counts for anything. Um, but who knows? I think Schalke could could certainly cause an upset. Um, if you you know if if you ever want to play a team, you normally want to play them at the at the start of the season, um, where you can maybe catch teams cold. Maybe that will come into effect. Maybe Schalke have got a chance to go there and upset them uh, because Dortmund will be a little bit cold. But uh, the way Dortmund were playing um, up until the sort of the pause in the season, you've got to edge. You've got to give Dortmund the edge. Uh, just their goal threat going forwards. The fact that they can sort of score from everywhere and anywhere. Um, it seems to swarm all over you. You've got to give us the Dortmund. Yeah, of course. I would say that obviously they are the favourites, but you know, Borussia Dortmund when they're chasing a title, they can they can choke. They've proven it quite a few times before, yeah. and you know, even since January, since they've they made they had a phenomenal January window. I would say you know the signings of. Haaland, obviously, even Emre Chan, um, you know, uh, to provide more solidity because, as you said, you know, they're a team that can, when they're on form, they can absolutely rip you to shreds, but they can also completely let you down and be very open and make horrendous mistakes. And even when you think that they've kind of gotten over that little, um, you know, that that, men, that mental issue, you know, there, there'll be a game where, like Leverku- away, away to Leverkusen, when they threw away a lead to lose 4-3. Um, so Dortmund still have those weaknesses and, I just wonder, being four points behind Bayern Munich, you know, are they going to be able to make up that gap? I'm, I'm not too sure, but you know, it's, it's a huge gap. I've got, I've got friends of mine who are, who are diehard Dortmund fans uh, from being around the area. I've got guys I know that work with the, with the club and in around the club, and I think um, the sense is that uh, this, this certainly would have been a season that they could have uh, toppled Bayern Munich. I mean, you know, they started the season so well, they were well on top. Um, it was just a period of, of three or four bad results um, sort of, you know, in the middle of the season um, that really let them down. They seem to be back on track now, but again, um, they ship too many goals. They, they just ship far too many goals. I think they've got the worst defensive record um, in the top six. Um, actually, no, Schalke have got a slightly worse record, but they've got one of the worst defensive records in the top six. They score for fun. And they're very entertaining to watch. Haaland's been an amazing addition. I think Emre Chan's a, a really clever signing as well um, to give them some more solidity and control in the middle of the park. Um, but they just can see too many goals. So, yeah, I think they'll close the gap this weekend. I think they'll edge Schalke. But overall, I still think they'll have they'll just be too short to topple Bayern Munich this season. Do you think it's a game, Dortmund versus Schalke, that both teams would like to return to? Or do you think they would rather have a few games under their belt before they had the big derby? I guess, yeah, that's a good question. There's two ways of looking at it. You could say, right, bang, back with a bang. Let's get into it. Let's play our big rivals. Uh, if you win, then it's definitely a game you wanted to start with. <laughs> because you go into the next game with such a boost that, um, you know, it's massive. I mean, you know, if Dortmund, if Dortmund lose that one at home, then that's going to have a crushing effect on them. Um, yeah, me personally, I'd rather it three games in and say, okay, let, let's, ease, let's ease back into this. And then uh, you've got Schalke penciled into the calendar. But it is what it is. They've got to go with it. We can't talk about a title charge without talking about Bayern Munich, of course, who are currently the table toppers with 55 points. Um, and they're away to Union Berlin, who who are a very good outfit. They're well coached. Um, you know, they're, they're, they're massive underdogs with regards to Bundesliga, but they've had a good season, haven't they? They have, and one of the interesting things with this, though, is they're a team that is is famous for its uh, home support. They yes. have uh, huge home support, uh, which is 
um, you know, a massive factor in the way that they play. I was about to say that's going to be a big advantage this weekend, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, 100%. <laughs> so if you think about, you know, maybe in the UK, we look at a team like Newcastle United, right? They're always, um, always, uh, people talk about the Toon Army, about this amazing support they've got from the Geordie Nation, you know, cheering them on. There's nothing quite like a, a, a top game, a night game at St. James's Park. And Union Berlin have that feeling about them that they're this, they're this team is driven on by like fanatical support, but they're going to have to do without that up against the best team uh, in the country and, and, you know, one of the best teams in the world. So it's going to be tough for them. Well, I think this lack of, um, obviously with no fans being allowed in the ground, I think if it's one team that's going to benefit, it's going to be Bayern Munich because, you know, they're, 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 they're the killers in Bundesliga, obviously. They're, they're the big team. They're the winners. They're the perennial winners. Um, they're cold. They know how to get it done. And I think that, you know, as you've just alluded to, with there's going to be no support. So a team like Union Berlin can no longer thrive off the back of that. So it's just going to be like an absolute machine, I think, from the likes of Bayern Munich. And I think that, you know, it'll be another, I'm not saying it'll be a resounding win, but I can see them racking up the goals this weekend where Union Berlin don't have their support to fall back on. I think um, I think maybe Union Berlin will just about uh, get away with it. I could see them stealing a point, but... Uh, that's only because maybe Bayern Munich could come back rusty. I do think the lack of a um, the lack of a home attendance will um, have a massive effect on them. But I don't see it being a romp. I don't see it being a big romp for um, for uh, Bayern Munich. I think they'll put up a fight. Fair enough. Another big game this weekend. It's a relegation battle. It's Dusseldorf at home to Paderborn. Um, you know, Paderborn are, are currently last. Um, they're on sixteen points. I think if you're looking at the league table there, I don't want to say they're goners, but they're going to struggle to make up the points. Um, but Fortuna Dusseldorf, sorry, they're in 16th. They're two places ahead. They're on 22 points. Um, that's a huge game, isn't it, for for Dusseldorf in particular? Yeah, massive game. A friend of mine's a big uh, big Dusseldorf fan, and he's um, he's been he's been frustrated this season with their uh, their performances uh, and everything like that. But I think if they can win this game, then that that starts to give them a bit of um, you know they need to get up the table because they're four points behind Mines, and, and this is a big opportunity for, for them to to start to stretch away from the from the relegation, you know, the relegation places. Um, so it's a huge game, Paderborn. Like you said, it's a massive game for them. It's basically must win. It's a must win game for them. I think all the games coming up now are must win games for Paderborn. They've got to get points. Um, but Dusseldorf, this is an opportunity to close the gap on Mines and just to stretch themselves away, just to ease those worries of relegation because they're a big club. That's a big club. Shouldn't really be down there, and um, yeah, it'd be interesting to see what happens with that one. But it is most definitely must win, isn't it? For, for Dusseldorf, they're four points behind mine, so you know they're already yeah. two games behind. And you know, they all say you don't want to be two games behind when you're chasing. Um, you know, so Dusseldorf have to have, get a two game advantage on mine, and there's not many games to go. So it's a classic six pointer, Harry. It's a classic six pointer. If you're classic six pointer, yeah. If you're going to watch any two games, for me, the, the two games I would like to watch this weekend from the Bundesliga would be the Derby, Dortmund against Schalke. And then I know it's probably not the most popular choice, but it would be that Dusseldorf against Paderborn game because I think that one's going to go off. And that's a, a relegation six-pointer right there. Yeah, most definitely. But we can't ignore the fact that obviously, you know, the most eyes will be drawn towards Bayern Munich and Borussia Dortmund. As is always the case, you know, the, the biggest teams are what gets most attention worldwide. And... Um, I want to talk about Bayern Munich and I think it, I think they've gone under the radar arguably it just how good they've been recently since Flick was permanently appointed to replace Kovac and I want to start this 
topic off with quite a big question. Um, it's not that related to what we've been talking about, but it's an interesting topic nonetheless. I think we'd both regard Liverpool as arguably the best team in Europe right now. Would you agree? Yeah, I have to agree with that, mate. Do you think Bayern Munich is the next team or could be the team to overtake Liverpool at their perch? Because, as I said, I think it's been quite largely ignored at just, or they've gone under the radar, arguably, at just how good Bayern Munich have been since Flick was permanently appointed. And if you look at their team and the potential signings they're going to be making, you know, there's there's big talk that they're going to be signing Leroy Sane. It looks like a team that's ready to dominate it once again and arguably dominate in Europe and certainly continue to dominate in the Bundesliga. Do you think they could be the next team behind or to overtake Liverpool? Um, they're in with a shout, mate, definitely. This is the best I've seen them for a while. Um, I think people were uncertain at the start of the season, um, even when they handed a handed a, a you know a, um, a wallop in classic wallop into Tottenham. Um, people were still not giving them the credit. But if you look at the team, uh, they've always been you know heavy hitters in Europe. But if you look at the balance of the team, the age of the team, they've got a good mixture of really experienced guys. So Lewandowski, we all know about him. Manuel Neuer in goal. Um, you know, all the way through the team, they've got quality with Thiago. Um, but then they've also got, uh, you know, amazing young players who are making an impact now. So Serge Gnabry, is that a real, that, that's been a real boost for them. His sort of um, development into a, into a really uh, top player who's delivering consistently. That's a massive boost to their team. And then, of course, you've got Alfonso Davis. Um, who's making massive strides all the time, one of the most exciting young players. So I think they've got this really great and dangerous mixture of uh, experienced winners who know what to do and they've done it at the top level and then really exciting young supporting cast. Um, so yeah, I, I could see them being a big threat because if you look around the traditional teams uh, that would be competing with Liverpool for that place at the top um, of Europe would be you know, Barcelona, Real Madrid, they look like they're both struggling a little bit. Um, to, you know, only comparatively uh, to what we normally see from them. They're still phenomenal sides, obviously. Um, but I think there's been a slight dip in both of those teams. Um, Man City, they have to, you have to look at them and say, well, they're 25 points behind in England. They've, they've not got past a certain stage in the Champions League for a long time. So can you really count them? It's, it's difficult. But yeah, I, I think Bayern Munich are right there, mate. And that mixture they've got of experience and youth at the moment, that's that's deadly. So yeah, they, they're well poised. It is a phenomenal mixture. And there's there's a lot of talk right now that they're going to sign Leroy Sane in the summer from Manchester City, who I've been championing that move for a while now. I think that Leroy Sane has the potential to be a, an absolute superstar. And currently think, at Man City... What, what, what kind of an effect do you think that will have? I think that seems like it's going to be a done deal. Both, I think, he wants to do it and the club want to do it. So, I think it'll be a huge effect. I, I believe that Leroy Sane has, um, or did have, Ballon d'Or potential, but yeah. I believe that, you know... And it wasn't... It's not a negative, but I do believe that at Man City became more a, um, a player to fill a role. Yeah, I know you've been quite vocal about that in the past with his, um, you know, he, he's 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 sort of become peppified. Well, I think he became um, just a, a traditional winger that sort of, you know, stays very wide, hugs the touchline and and delivers cutbacks, crosses, what, what have you. Um, of course, he provided more, but I just think that someone like Leroy Sane, you know, I, I spoke about it, um, to, to, to win the Ballon d'Or as a wide forward, you have to score a certain type of goal. Um you know, the, the, you know, cutting in, bending into the top corner, um, you know, really being assertive onto the game and um, taking the game by the scruff of the neck on your own almost. And 
playing the role as he did for Man City, I don't think gave him the opportunity to do that. But I think that if he joins Bayern Munich, you'll have a front three spearheaded by Robert Lewandowski, Serge Gnabry coming in from the left onto his right foot, Leroy Sané would swap wings coming on um, coming onto his left foot from the right-hand side. And I think that as a front three, there's not going to be many better front threes with regards to in, in world football. You know, it has, it has everything. It has pace, power. Well, it's interesting you say that because I was going to ask about... I, I agree with uh, the fact that, you know, he's a top player and he had Ballon d'Or potential. And I also agree that you've got to, you've got to have a certain amount of impact on games. You know, I don't think it matters about um, what the aesthetics of the goals, but I do think you have to have the impact that you're the difference maker at the top level. So I think it'll be interesting to see where he fits in with, with Serge Gnabry, with Kingsley Coman, because they've got exciting wide players. They've got exciting players going forward. And he would add to that. Obviously, he's going to come and he's going to want to start. But Gnabry's made such an impact on that team. Um, does Sane swap wings? Does Gnabry swap wings? Uh, it'll be interesting to see. It's not as Sometimes it's not as easy as just slotting a player in and saying, oh, I'll just put him there. Because um, you've already got players in those positions doing a great job at the moment so will it upset them a bit or do you just see it as a big positive he's got to be a big positive because he's such a big player and, and such a good player I, I do think it's, it's it's very much needed um, you know if you're comparing him to Kingsley Coman Kingsley Coman for me is one of the the best 1v1 wide forwards in the world but in terms of um, output with regards to goals and assists I don't think he has anywhere near the level of potential that Leroy Sane can do and you know we've all looked to Liverpool this year and and you know how important it is or it can be to have the threats and the the goal output from wide positions um you've got it from Gnabry this year but you know Thomas Muller's taken a bit of a hit with regards to goals he's his assists have um have really gone up this year but with regards to goals Kingsley Coman has never been a a, a huge um goal scorer um so all of a sudden just I think adding the Rosana you've got another player there in the front three that would potentially provide 30 plus goals and assists a season and that's a huge huge um, addition to a squad if you look at all of the best teams recently um, in recent years of dominated European football dominated leagues they have at least I would say three players at least three players that provide over 25 goals and assists collectively in their squad Um, and if you look at Bayern Munich right now Lewandowski yes Gnabry, yes. Who else is going to guarantee you 25-plus goals and assists a year? Yeah, I think that's one way of looking at it. But another way, like like you, you've said yourself in the past, is you know when we were talking about Liverpool before, about them changing the system and, and, and moving players out and uh, changing things around and refreshing the front three. I think if you, if you lose a player, um, it's not like you know, they'll buy Sane and the team will score 30 more goals. Um, no. they'll get the goals from elsewhere. So yes, he'll produce, which will mean someone else will produce less. Um, I, I think it'll be shared around. I think he's a good shout for a sign-in, but um, I think it will be interesting to see how he fits in because Muller's still a massively influential figure at the club. So it's not going to be as easy as walking in and taking Muller's spot. Muller's going to play less, and obviously they play in different positions. Uh, Coleman and Gnabry have got the shirts at the moment, so I think he'll come in. But then I think those three will obviously rotate. You know, uh, two will play, one will sit out um, with Lewandowski up front. Um, yeah, I just I just think it it might not be as easy a transition as um, as just slotting him in. But he's available. He wants to go there. 
um, and he's definitely going to make the squad better. Yeah, and I think that, you know, talking about Bayern Munich more broadly, we spoke last week, or two weeks ago rather, about the, the current cycle of football being very vertical, very intense, very dynamic, very aggressive, um, you know, powerful, and it suits this squad to the T. But, you know, there's also there's also a clear idea and a clear structure in terms of build-up and how they progress the ball, how they press afterwards with Flick. He, he's really had a big influence on this team, hasn't it? Because, you know, with big clubs like Bayern Munich and Real Madrid and Barcelona, of course, as with every single team in the world, results is the most important thing. But managers can get sacked, even being top of the league and having success, if the direction isn't quite clear enough or if the owners and the board and the club don't necessarily believe in the long-term project. You know, we saw it this year with with Barcelona sacking Valverde, um, despite being, I think they were at the top, weren't they, when uh, they sacked him? Um, but it's very clear right now that with Flick being appointed, that everyone's pulling in the same direction. And, you know, we spoke earlier about the balance of the squad. It has, has experienced players, it has youthful players, but those youthful players are, are experienced as well now. So, you know, you mentioned Gnabry. There's also the likes of um, Benjamin Pavard, Nicolas Soule, um, Lucas Hernandez, Alfonso Davis. These are these are young players, but they've had a lot of experience in football. They're playing for the for one of the biggest teams in the world and for for playing in big competitions. So, I just think that everything is geared towards Bayern Munich being the next major team. To I I think they could win the the Champions League in the next two years. I would even maybe say they could win it next season. Um, you know, because the big teams like Liverpool and Man City, they are going to have to have their drop off at some point. They will do. Um, you could arguably say that you know they they could be edging towards that. Um, we all know, as you said earlier, that Barcelona and Real Madrid are comparatively in a bit of a bit of a state right now. Um, you know, so I think that Bayern Munich are geared towards being the team to take advantage of that. Yeah, you've certainly got to have them up there, mate. And I, I think it is a good shout. Uh, talking about the vertical football, uh, Sane would certainly be an addition to that. Pacey, direct. Uh, excellent 1v1 player and then if you look at how they use Alfonso Davis uh, with his overlapping runs um... well there's just so much variety to the team now isn't there because you know you've got threats in behind with the likes of um, you know the um, Sane and Gnabry you've also got players who can pick up the ball deep like Gnabry can like Sane can and drive towards players 1v1 you've got the goal threat of Lovandowski who can also link play you've got um, you know the absolute raw pace and dynamism of Alfonso Davis overlapping on the left hand side but then you've got perhaps a more measured technical approach of Joshua Kimmich or, you know, Pavard on the right-hand side. So, and then there's so much balance in the midfield as well. They could perhaps do with a, a destroyer. I do think they perhaps lack that in their squad, a, a, a typical six, as it were. Um, I do think that's an area yeah. they might have to address. I mean, no squad's perfect. No team is no team is perfect. And I think that's, that's definitely one area where they could improve. And if you think about the, the way that they're going, they're definitely going for pace and they're definitely going for threat in behind. Obviously, Lewandowski's an unparalleled striker, so that you know um, that can't be argued about. The, the gaps that I see is that destroying midfield, like you said, and then also a bit of um, slower tempo creativity because I do think they've got um, they've got guys who are threats from the middle of the park. They were hoping for Coutinho to be that um, that creative spark in the middle. Um, or more central, but hasn't quite worked, worked, has it? That hasn't worked out. Um, so when we talk about you know Thomas Muller, that's not what he's known for. He's known for his late arrivals, perfect timing, and, and arriving into the box and, and ghosting in and getting his goals. Um, Kimmich is a great player, but he's not that creative um, sort of spark. 
ingenious kind of player in the centre. I mean, Thiago's that. Thiago's definitely that. But um, obviously, there's question marks about his uh, injuries, you know, and also um, whether he adds enough in terms of in terms of goals. Uh, but uh, yeah, look, we're we're nitpicking. I mean, if they uh, as they are, they're a fantastic team near top of the league, and and for teams that are well placed to to become the the next best in Europe, they're definitely well high up the list. Yep, one hundred percent. Interesting nonetheless, and um, I think we can both agree on that. You know, it's it's going to be fascinating to watch, and just so excited to watch the Bundesliga return and watch football return. After the break, we will be doing coaches battle. Coaches battle. Before we do this week's Coaches Battle, I have the result of Coaches Battle from two weeks ago. Um, I, of course, am currently winning 2-0. And Rich, do you want to hear who won the battle two weeks ago? Not me. Not me. Well, I was going to say, can you not tell by the tone of my voice? <laughs> so I'm 3-0 down, basically. Is that uh, what you're saying? No, no, no. You've clawed one back, mate. I, I, I was, Get um, in. Yeah, I've, you clawed one back. I was. I thought I sounded quite disappointed, but obviously not. I guess I'm just cheery no matter what. But no, you've you called one back, mate. It's it's now currently two one. So I'll with today's it. coaches battle, you can make it two all. So okay. obviously we've been speaking about the Bundesliga today, and we're going to keep to that thing for coaches battle. And it is best of the rest. So previously on our coaches battle, it has been uh, the luck of the draw in terms of what we're talking about. But myself and Richards have decided no, we're actually going to decide what topics we're going to talk about today. And best of the rest means. I think we're both in agreement that the Premier League is by far and away widely recognised in terms of excitement, interest, and obviously financially the best league in the world. But the argument is, can Bundesliga be the best of the rest? You know, you could look at maybe the last, certainly this decade, it's been the Premier League and La Liga as the top two. But I'm personally of the opinion that the Bundesliga can overtake La Liga and Richard is going to argue why it won't. So Richard, you're going to go first and you're going to, Explain why you don't think the Bundesliga will overtake La Liga. You have 30 seconds. Um, are you ready to start? I'm ready. Cool. So let me get the timer out, mate. Um, so bear with me. You can start in three, two, one, go. I think the Bundesliga is uh, a little bit more than a uh, one uh, one club uh, league. Bayern Munich are far too dominant. Yes, they're a dominant team. They're a great team. But I think you need a bit more than that to be considered uh, one of the top leagues. You need to have European domination. And I just don't see the others, uh, Leipzig, Dortmund, Leverkusen, Schalke, catching up to what we see in La Liga and Premier League. So I think La Liga will be number two for a little while yet. Uh, Atletico, Barca and Real a little bit further ahead than Bayern, Dortmund and Leipzig in my opinion. And you can stop there. Full time. That was fast. You sure that was 30 seconds? 30 seconds, mate. 30-42. So, you know, I gave you a little bit longer. All right. Thanks, buddy. Not bad, not bad. But I am personally of the belief that the Bundesliga can become the best of the rest. So, if you want to get the stopwatch ready, mate. Ready. You may start in three, two, one, go. The current cycle of football is very dynamic, very vertical, very exciting. That's what gets the most interest from worldwide fans. And that's what the Bundesliga has in terms of um, the edge over La Liga. Um, I know what you're saying about, obviously, the Bayern Munich is the biggest team, but I would arguably say that the likes of Dortmund, Leipzig, Leverkusen, um, Schalke, Borussia Mönchengladbach, these incredibly interesting teams, young, fresh coaches as well that... Um, produces exciting football and that's what the wider public wants to watch and that's and with the current situation where everyone's going to be tuning to the Bundesliga there we go mate end it there draw. sorry fella cut you short no that's alright mate that's alright I've done more than enough I've done more than enough and I am 100% 
claiming back my two goal advantage this week. We'll see. We'll see. No, yeah. So, um, again, because we don't have a guest this week, we are going to put it out to Twitter. So, um, after this podcast goes up, I will put out a, a poll. You guys have to decide who won this week's coaches battle. Is it Richard arguing why La Liga, why sorry, why Bundesliga won't become the best of the rest, or is it myself, Harry, arguing why the Bundesliga will become best of the rest? That was this week's coaches battle, and now to wrap up the show, it is time for this week's best of. And the best of the week is for this week's best of. We are again going to continue with our German theme, and now we're gonna. Merse it with the Premier League. This week's best of is best German to play in the Premier League. Um, I'll go first with this one. And my best ever German to play in the Premier League, bearing in mind, obviously, I am younger than yourself, Richards, believe it or not. So, you know, I've seen less Germans. So for the Spurs fans that are going to give me stick for not talking about Jürgen Klinsmann at Tottenham, I'm sorry, I was too young. But the best German I've seen in the Premier League, for me, has to be Mesut Ozil. Um... He gets a lot of stick. He's everyone's favourite scapegoat. But if you just look at Mesut Ozil and what he's accomplished as a German, in his career, first of all, he's had a phenomenal career. But even in the Premier League and in England, he's been fantastic. He's won three FA Cups at Arsenal. That can't be ignored. He won a World Cup whilst he was at Arsenal. You know, I know it obviously wasn't a, a Premier League trophy, but, you know, he won the biggest trophy there is whilst playing in the Premier League. In 2015 and 16, in that season, he he had the most assists in the Premier League. He's created 551 chances in the Premier League since his debut. Only Christian Eriksen has more. Uh, In 2018, he became the quickest player in Premier League history to register 50 assists. Um, He only took 141 games to reach that. Um, The previous record was the great Eric Cantona, 143. And... He's a kind of player that I think that has arguably never really been truly appreciated in England. You know, um, that kind of players are truly appreciated in Spain and La Liga, but over in England, we like players that, you know, play with intensity and work hard. And, you know, he's more like the maverick creative genius. But I'd even actually argue that, that, you know, Ozil's had his drop off because, you know, he's arguably, whether he's lost it in terms of physically or mentally, but he's lost the dynamism that he used to have. Ozil, I think, used to be very dynamic. You know, he used to, he was fantastic at making off the ball runs into the into the inside channels, into pockets of space where he would then pick up the ball in space and use his creative genius and his his vision, his technique um, to then produce assists and create chances or or finish chances. Um, he's the kind of player that I just love to watch in terms of what you can do, um, his appreciation of the ball, his intellect. Um, you know, there's other. German legends of the Premier League, you know, the likes of Michael Ballack was fantastic at Chelsea, but, you know, he was arguably coming towards the end of his career then. Um, so, for me, the best performing German in Premier League history that I've seen would have to be Mesut Ozil at Arsenal. Good shout, mate. I think you're right about him being um, everyone's favourite scapegoat. Uh, I think if you look at it, you know, people can get emotive about these things. Oh, you know, Arsenal player, whatever. Um, not interested in that. I just want to look at that purely from a footballing point of view. Um, an unbelievable talent, an unbelievable footballer. Um, he certainly, in terms of what he did uh, as a creative presence uh, from midfield with his passing range, those little reverse balls, uh, his weight of touch, uh, his ability to to like glide glide past challenges, uh, calmness, calmness in possession, 
Um, just the range, the different type of assists. Just an unbelievable football and unbelievable talent. And I think that's one thing. He's an indicator of, uh, I think, some of the things that we do wrong uh, in English football or in UK football, where we're obsessed with uh, running stats and hard running and tackling and passion. You know, the, the idea that you can out-passion the other team and that you can win on passion. Um, uh, yes, you can you, you can be passionate and that can, that can drive you a long way. But, um, you know, we're talking about a, a, a player of technical excellence here um, who's able to make the difference with a pass, who's able to make the difference with, um, you know, knitting play together. So unbelievable player, terrific player. Um, and, you know, even just on his achievements alone, like you said, three three FA Cups, won the World Cup of Germany as well. Um, yeah, he's, he's definitely weighed up there, mate. So cracking choice, that one. Um for myself, uh, you you made the point. There's a, there's a long list actually. I think we've got to give honourable mentions to Michael Ballack, terrific player, uh, Schweinsteiger, um, he, unbelievable player. But we didn't see, well, Man United fans didn't see anywhere near um, the level of player that Bastian Schweinsteiger is, unfortunately, because what a player he was in his day. So he can't really make the list. I'm a huge fan of Klinsmann, obviously, for his goals and just the excitement that he brought, and he was. Um, you know, the, the, the short stints that he had at Tottenham were just so exciting to watch. But the player I've gone for, probably the complete polar opposite of Mezzalicil, mate. And that's uh, Diddy Haman. So, um... They make a good balanced midfield, mate. Sorry? They make a good... Oh, I was going to say make a good balanced midfield. I don't think Mezzalicil has ever been a midfielder. He's always been a forward, but you get what I mean. <laughs> yeah, I get the idea. Look, I think it's... Uh, I think he would add balance. So any any midfield that's got Diddy Haman is, is definitely going to be competitive. So... Not a, not a typically fashionable player, but um, his his uh, his success in England, I think, is not with is is not in doubt at all. Uh, big success for Liverpool. Look, he was a big player for Newcastle, and he went on and also was a, a first team player and had a, a lot of games at Man City as well. But it was that period at Liverpool in the early two thousands. I think in the one season under Julier, they won the FA Cup, uh, the League Cup, there was the UEFA Cup, uh, the Super Cup as well. And the charity shield, if you care to count that. So uh, a five a five trophy haul in one season is not to be sniffed at. And then, of course, uh, the famous night in Istanbul, the Champions League 2005. Um, pivotal figure, uh, brilliant defensive midfielder, but also a great attacking uh, a great attacking threat as well. When he did go forward, scorer of uh, famous goals and scorer of like you know special goals. Didn't didn't pitch in with many. But um, when he did score, they, they tended to be good goals. Uh, I just think for sustained success um, and consistency, you know, we saw Klinsmann, but it was a short period of time. Uh, Balak was a terrific player, but we probably didn't see the best of him. Um, I think for a, a period of sustained success to show um, what a player he was, who won trophies and was dominant in a big club like Liverpool, my favourite German player to have played in England would be Didi Hermann. I think Didier Man's a great shout. Um, he's one of those players that won't necessarily be appreciated for his ability in terms of what he can do on the ball, but he's one of those players that every winning squad needs to have, don't they? You know, that reliable, um, you know, disciplined. Well, um, talking of talking, what were we saying about Dortmund? I think a yeah. Didier Haman would, would do a terrific uh, job right now for Dortmund to add Most that control, to add that balance and uh, to get them over the line. Most definitely. No, great shout, great shout. 
that wraps up this week's show. The next time we're going to be speaking, well, to you guys, me and Richard are probably going to have another phone call in five minutes' time, but, you know, the next time we're going to be doing a podcast, football will have returned. Um, so, no, something we're really looking forward to. Hopefully you guys enjoyed the show. Um, all that's left for me to say is thanks to Richard. Thanks, mate. Thanks to you guys for listening. We'll be back next week. Have a lovely weekend. And football's back, baby.